Jill and I met in uh, San Diego in 1997, and I uh, was with a best friend of mine. We came around the door, and I saw Jill uh, a couple rows away and uh, nudged my buddy on the shoulder and said, there's my future wife. It's true. It was love at first sight for him. And a few years down the road, we had moved back to Portland. In 2002, we got married. Um, we got married in a church, not because we really wanted to. We didn't really have a personal relationship with God at the time. I was raised in a Christian family, but I never really accepted him as my personal savior. Uh, Ryan was raised Catholic, same thing with him. We had a typical marriage at that point. You know, everything was new, it was fun. Um, and uh, as you kind of settle in and get comfortable, uh, things kind of keep going. And we threw a couple kids into the mix in a business that was maybe taking a turn for the worst uh, with the economy and stuff like that. And uh, problem, real problems were starting to build up on us. And um, the position I think that I got myself into is, is I isolated myself from uh, Jill and the family and stuff. We were definitely not in a good place. Um, and we were raising children in this place, and it was it was a scary thing to it was a scary thing to be in. And we got a postcard one day for this church, and we just showed up and said, "What do we have to lose?" And we ended up in Pastor Brad's office, sitting on his couch, facing him in prayer, asking for Christ in our heart and to forgive us and to just love us and take care of us that we couldn't do it on our own. And we surrendered to to him that day, and it was a wonderful feeling. Our perspective on life has totally changed the way we look at it and the way that we go through life. The problems are still are still there, uh, but the unity that Jill and I feel with our family going through it together, that's the thing that's really changed for me and to be engaged with her um, and to uh, you know put God first in our life and, and know that that's our mission and everything else kind of works its way out. could have easily been just another statistic. I was born into a broken home, but somehow God found me and I started attending church from an early age. By age seven, I accepted Jesus into my heart. And by 10 years old, God put the desire in my heart that he wanted me to be a pastor. But when I shared this information with the pastor's family, they actually just laughed because I should have known that girls can't be pastors. It was my first big dream and I was, I was crushed. Time went by and the summer before high school, I started developing into a young woman like all girls do. And I started receiving attention in ways that had never happened before. I really liked being noticed. And out of my brokenness, I decided to walk away from Christ. I made a dozen bad choices which led to my reputation being destroyed. Um, I gave away my purity and I started to overdose on my mom's prescription pills to cope with my pain. I was bullied, I was lied about, I was shoved into walls, but the hurt that came the most was from a close friend who decided to tell everybody at a public event that I should just go ahead and kill myself because no one was gonna care if I died. I remember the pain of their laughter and the hurt that I actually believed that what they said was true. And so May of 2009, 17 years old, just weeks before my high school graduation, I started to research the ways that I was going to die. I found all the signs that I needed to avoid and giving it away to my family. I wrote them a letter and I overdosed on 150 sleeping pills. 
what happened next has no explanation whatsoever. For whatever reason, a friend showed up at our house, found me unconscious, and took me to the hospital. Doctors, nurses, nobody knew why I was still alive. But through a miracle, God saved my life. Adjusting back to life after this was really rough. I lived in a small town and everybody knew what I had done to myself. I just kept asking God, why? Why did you let me live? I didn't know what to do. And just a month before I was supposed to leave for college, I sat on my bathroom floor and I watched that pink positive sign show up on a pregnancy test. My family was shocked. They had no idea what to do with me. So out of fear, they rejected me. And I had nowhere to go. So I moved in with my baby's father and together we lived with his mom. And she had a strong relationship with Jesus. This woman would consistently invite me to church. And every time I would kindly say, no, no thank you. She never bothered to invite her own son, just me. So finally, I was just like, lady, okay, I will go with you just because I wanted her to stop asking me. And I remember I was about six months pregnant, so looking about same I do right now. I walked into this bright and beautiful sanctuary. It was warm, it was welcoming, but in my heart, all I felt was shame. We sat in the very back up against the wall and everybody's eyes were forward, but I felt as though they were all staring at me. Worship started and I stood up, not because I wanted to, but just out of respect. And I was filled with emotion. I started sobbing and the Holy Spirit fell on me. He filled me and I heard God say to me, you, you have come back. I have always loved you and I have bigger plans for you. Slowly, I started rebuilding my relationship with Christ. I started diving into his word. I was following his truth, finding out who he really is, and I was led on his path. Through a million tears, I was able to ask for forgiveness for everything that I had done wrong. But you know what? Even more than that, I was able to forgive myself. It has been six years since that time, and in that, God has done incredible things in my life. I married that boy who is the father of my baby, and together we have three of the most beautiful little girls, and we have a son due this summer. And even more than that, Jesus filled us with hope. He led us to Horizon, which opened up doors of opportunity, and this spring, conveniently in May, I will receive my credentialing to be a pastor. <laughs> Amen. And you know what? I get to stand here today and tell you I am not another teen mom statistic. Amen. You know, my marriage, it is thriving in Christ. I have incredibly godly children who are going to get to grow up in this church. And I get to do this every single day with Jesus. He is right by my side. He has my hand. He has my heart. He has been my provider and my healer, and he's going to continue to write my story until my days on this earth are done. I want to talk to you today about choices. We've called this service Crossroads. We all, we all have to make choices in life, and some of them are not so big. One of the choices we make every day is, am I going to eat that? And for me, it's usually, yeah, yeah of course I am. Do you, 
eat to live or live to eat. That's a sermon for another day. But, but then there's a political choice. And, you know, am I going to be liberal? Am I going to be conservative? And, and those political people are all, all of our Facebook favorite friends, right? The, the, just the stuff that we get to see all the time. And, and then marriage. That's even, that, now we're getting to some bigger decisions. And, and I remember that, that I made the choice to marry this beautiful woman, Karen, here. What I couldn't believe is that she chose me, and that, that's an important choice in life. But today I want to put before you the most important choice you will ever make, and it concerns Jesus Christ. None of those other decisions are anything compared to this one because our eternal destiny is on the line with this one. We're going to go take a look in the Bible at the story of two men. You know, the, the, the Easter story has Jesus on one of the crosses in the middle, but there, there's men on the left and the right as well. And that day, they had a choice to make that was the most important choice they would ever make. So let's talk about them. My first point as we look at the story today is we all come to a crossroad in our lives where we have to make big decisions. Luke 23, we start there, but Jesus has already carried the cross. He's been beaten. The crown of thorns has been pushed upon his head. They've They've, in mockery, put the sign above the cross to say, uh, behold, your king, the king of the Jews. But there's two thieves there, too. And let's pick up the story there. When they stand those crosses up, two other men, it says, both criminals were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on the right and the other on his left. Both these guys were in crisis. We face crisis in lives, in our lives. Both these guys were completely guilty. Jesus wasn't in that middle cross, but the two on the outside crosses were completely guilty. See, how do you know Jesus wasn't? Well, the Bible says that he never knew sin. He came to be the perfect spotless lamb to die for our sins, so he never sinned once in his life. He only loved, he only gave, but these two guys on the outside, they, they took I mean, their, 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 their life skill, the best one they had was stealing. And so they're guilty. They're hearing the crowd mock Jesus. I imagine that they were friends of another thief called Barabbas. And earlier in the day, Barabbas and Jesus had been taken out to a place. And the Jews, uh, they were given a decision. Will you choose Barabbas to live or Jesus to live? And the government authority wanted them to choose Jesus. But demonic spirits put in the heart of the people no, give us Barabbas. Jesus must die. Crucify him. Crucify him. And they know that this Barabbas dude was a bad dude. And here's Jesus who'd done no wrong. They know the stories of Jesus. He's famous in his day. They know that he's been around. They've heard about healing. And they've watched him as he endures this pain. And they're hearing the crowd mock him, saying, if you're, if you're the king, then, then deliver yourself from that cross. They're hearing all these things. Both saw the sign above his cross, king of the Jews. Both had an equal opportunity. What choice would they make, to believe in Jesus or not to believe? Isaiah 53, 6 shows us that they're not the only guilty ones when it comes to standing before Jesus. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God the Father is so altogether holy that He cannot allow sin to cohabitate in His presence. And He created us, and we were 
close to him. Human beings in the garden, Adam and Eve, walked with him. And they loved him, but they did the one thing he asked them not to do, they sinned. And you know what? It makes sense that God uh, is a God who loves, but he's a God of justice, right? If, if there's murder, justice is needed. If there's molestation, justice should take place. But God is a God uh, uh, who, 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 who must punish sin because sin damages his creation. And now he has this dilemma. How will he restore his creation? Since sin has to be punished, he decided to send his only son to come be fully God, fully man on this earth, Jesus Christ. And the spotless lamb lived out life, showing us who the father was so we could get a better idea of what God the father looks like. But then he became the ransom for our sins on the cross. That's why the cross is necessary. I don't like the term when people say Jesus spilled his blood. Spilling is an accident. I like the term he shed his blood because that's willful and deliberate. He came for this very purpose to give his life. And since we're sinners, we need this forgiveness of sin too. Not just these guys on the cross. Look what the Bible says in Isaiah 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of us all. That's what he's done for us and now these two thieves must make a choice, but it's not just them. We have to make a choice. It's not just their choice, it's our choice in life too, the most important choice we'll ever make. And that's my second point. What will you do? We have a choice to make. What will you choose? Luke 23, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, "Aren't you the Christ?" Another version of the Bible says, "If you are the Christ, save yourself and us." Two choices, to believe or to refuse to believe. And the first thief was in crisis, right? I mean, these two thieves, there's never been a bigger crisis in their lives. They're about to die for things they've done. It's about to be the end of their time here on this earth. And we see this first thief, life has gone terribly wrong for him. It's, it's coming to a tragic end. Maybe he had a hard life. Maybe he had a difficult childhood. Terrible family life. But there were choices that he made personally all along the way that he had to be responsible for. One of them was, yes, I'm going to run with this rough crowd. I'm going to run with these thieves. The Bible says, bad company corrupts good character. And he chose to go that route. That was his decision. Then he decided, I'm going to start to take from people what is rightfully theirs and, and, and call it my own by stealing. He chose a lifestyle of sin. I'm going to take what others have worked hard for, even though it's not mine. And that was his skill that he decided to lean into. He had a chance to follow God all along the way, and he had chosen to ignore God. Now one more time, he had a chance on that cross. Sitting beside Jesus, watching him gracefully give his life, knowing that he didn't deserve what was happening to him. And what does he do? He decides in this hour of crisis rather than to lean in and choose Jesus as the way he rejects him and he speaks bitter and angry words of mockery he's heard them say it already at the foot of the cross and he repeats it if you're the son of God then come off that cross and save us he chooses unbelief he speaks with venom that poisons his soul 
Was there ever really an if when it comes to Jesus being the Son of God? He's the one who turned the water into wine. Believe me, the miracles were heard about in that day. He's the one who raised the dead to life more than once. He healed the leper. He healed the blind and the, and the deaf. At his command, the seas, when they were stormy, would cease and, and be peaceful. It's not if. He really is the Son of God. He was empowered. The Creator gave His only Son with all His miraculous power to show us that He is the way. If, there's not one little doubt about it, He is the Creator robed in flesh. Eventually, everyone's exposed to the love of the Savior. Every, everyone gets a chance. The Bible says, God once winked at ignorance, but now commands all people everywhere to come to Him. That chance is here today for us. That chance was there for them, but sadly, in His lonely hour and deep trial of crisis, He has an internal failure, and He refuses to believe. Instead of choosing Jesus to rescue, those awful words of doubt, mockery, and unbelief were released. But then there was the second thief. He's hearing the mockery come from the other cross. The first thief. Most likely this guy, the second guy, had had a hard life as well. Filled with difficulty and pain and heartache. And his situation was speaking loudly to the fact that he had made a ton of wrong choices in his life. But his response to Jesus was different. Who knows? In his life, maybe he heard John the Baptist saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Maybe along the way, he also heard him say, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Maybe he was there at the Sermon on the Mount, but he had not decided yet that he would take Jesus as his own. But as he watched him go up that hill that day, when he watched the nails go in his hands and he heard Jesus say to the ones driving the nails in his hands, he heard Jesus pray at that moment, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Somewhere along the way as he's watching, he's deciding, I, 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 I think he is who he says he is. I think he is the one. He hears the thief mocking on the other cross and in that moment he decides to believe and he speaks these words in Luke 23. Don't you fear God, he said. This is what he's saying to the other criminal. Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly, but we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. In an instant, this man who'd made so many terrible decisions makes the best choice of his life, and it would affect his eternal destiny. And that leads me to the third point today. Your choice determines your destiny. Then he said to Jesus in Luke 23, this is that second thief, he's decided to believe. You say, how do you know? Because when he says, remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, he's saying, I know who you are now. I believe your kingdom means that this is the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he believes. And we know it because Jesus answers him and says, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. In that moment, the thief turns his heart to Jesus Christ. And incredibly, Jesus Christ turns his heart to the thief. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. See, the most important thing about the decision, and this story illustrates it so wonderfully, is that 
your eternal destiny will be heaven where there's no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears. If you come through Jesus Christ, there's only one way because it's the one way that God chose to restore his creation to himself. But it's not earned, it's free, it's by grace. You want to know what the unpardonable sin is? I'll tell you what I believe it is. It's continually denying Jesus your whole life long and never choosing him. You heard a story today of an amazing testimony. I have a testimony too where I lived a life away from God. And I didn't think that he would want me, but I found out that his grace is incredible and amazing. And he takes people like Taylor and people like me and he makes trophies out of our lives and he wants to take you and make a trophy out of your life too. You haven't done too much. Grace is illustrated so amazingly on the cross. A lifestyle of wrong choices. And in that moment, the grace of God says, today you'll be with me in paradise forevermore. Later in the story, we see the power that proves even further that he's the one true Savior. The angels meet the women at the tomb. The tomb has been emptied. It's three days later. Jesus is off the cross. The ladies go into the tomb, and the angel says in Luke 24, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? Let me tell you that that was prophetic that Jesus said, listen, I'm going to go die, and I'll rise again in three days. That's incredible prophecy that happened. But it's not hard to believe in Jesus if you're into history and you'll study it because you'll find that there were over 400 prophecies that were written hundreds of years before Jesus' life that, that talk about his life, all of them fulfilled. 60 of the major prophecies. Think of this, that they would gamble for his clothing. They would, they would put nails in his hands. The other thieves didn't have nails in their hands because that's not the way they crucified. They reserved those just for Jesus to make it all worse for him. But they didn't even know they're fulfilling the prophecy that had been spoken. And God is illustrating. He's proving. And the greatest proof is that he raised Jesus from the dead. And you know what the Bible says? 500 witnesses saw him after he rose again. That's, I think you could win in a court of law with 500 eyewitnesses, don't you think? He's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words. Are we going to believe in Jesus? Now I found in life that it's it's not just believing in Jesus uh, with that first decision although that's the most important decision, there are oftentimes we come to really hard places in our life where we have to choose Him again. Something went terribly wrong. And we have these decisions, will I blame Him or will I cling to Him? And if you believe in Jesus today, perhaps you're coming to Him for the first time. Perhaps you're having a crisis. But if you'll choose Him, you'll find that He'll bless your life. He'll give you the best life on earth as he meets you and helps you through whatever you're facing. This, this life, we, we have trouble. Even believers, it's, it's not heaven. Heaven's a place where there's no more pain, no more crying, no more tears. Heaven's a place where the old order of things pass away. On earth, we have trials. But if you'll choose him in those trials, he'll be with you. 
and he'll help you through. Take a look at this testimony and you'll find this to be true. It was Thanksgiving Sunday, 1982, and um, I was on my way back to my college campus when the car I was in skidded on an icy bridge and smashed into another car. I flew out the back and landed into a, a pool of gasoline that ignited. About 30% of me was burned, uh, my face the deepest part. I lost everything. I lost my hair, my nose, um, eyelids, eyebrows, all of my lovely skin and um, definition of feature. There's something about our identity that's very tied to our face. Um, it's how people see you, um, how they react, the memory. And when you lose that, it's hard to describe the devastation of that. Multiple surgeries attempted to restore what I had lost, but surgeries can only mitigate, they can't give you back. I could not have faced um, these last three decades without my faith. When I was in college, I accepted Christ two weeks before my accident. That has made all the difference to me. My self-worth uh, has to be based on how God sees me, His love for me, and not how the world sees me. I think that great loss can bring us to a crossroads in our life where we either flee from God in anger or we cling. I choose to cling and I have hope, hope that I will lose these scars someday and I long for that restoration. But in the meantime, I'm an advocate um, and a peer supporter for other trauma survivors. One thing that I've learned over the years is that there's some worlds you can't penetrate unless you are one of them, unless you wear the same badge, carry the same shame, that the knowing is sacred. I am alive to tug a lost world toward Christ. Jesus suffered beyond our comprehension. The Bible tells us that he would be so disfigured, beaten, injured, like one from whom men hide their faces. That verse has always spoken to me that he gets me like nobody else can. He left glory to take on scars, to redeem mine and the world's. Mona was here with us in the first service this morning, and I had her stand. She's one of my heroes to just trust the Lord and find beauty. You know what she does when she says she's an advocate? When a child is burned severely, she'll not only go to minister to that child and help them overcome, but she'll go to the school and prepare the students to receive that child back and tell them how to respond to that child and help that child as they're overcoming the trauma in their lives. And the beauty of Jesus is shining through Mona incredibly because we come to places in our life where we have to choose, will I cling to him or will I run from him? He's brought beauty from ashes in her life and her body will be completely restored one day. So we have crossroads in our lives. One big decision like these two fellows on the cross had to make, will I take Jesus and then every now and then another one, will I hold on to him through this crisis? I promise you, if you'll keep choosing Jesus in these times of life, you'll find the fullness and the blessing that he wants you to have. John 3.16 says this, I want the band to come if they would now. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into this world to condemn him, 
to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned. Condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Biggest choice of your life. 